0: I know I probably missed something in the announcements, so make sure you look at everything. Just remember, night of worship, ladies' breakfast, barbecue. We're going to have Sunday morning services. We'll be in Acts chapter 15 on Sunday. Very important chapter, Acts chapter 15, because the Jerusalem Council gathers, that is the apostles and the elders, and they're going to be discussing this question about circumcision. And Paul, of course, as we have seen in chapters 13 and 14 of Acts, concluded their first missionary journey. And they were in that area of Asia Minor and in that area of Galatia. And Paul's first epistle that he wrote was to who? To the Galatian believers. And so Paul is writing to them about the Judaizers coming in and, you know, telling them that in order for them to be saved, they have to be circumcised. And so that's going to come up. And I think it's a really important uh, chapter for us to consider because there are those who will come along to you and to me and say, you know, it's great that you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but there's more to it for salvation you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to add to the work of the cross. So I want you to be established in it. There are those who will come along and say, you have to worship on a certain day, the Sabbath day. There are those who come along and say, you have to be baptized. There are those who will say, you have to be confirmed, or whatever it might be. And so this is something that we're going to learn. Uh, very much about and what the scripture has to say and then also how we can minister and answer those who come along and try to put that yoke of legalism on us as Peter said that that was put on our fathers why do we want to put this on the new Gentile believers so we'll look at that very carefully but tonight we do want to look at first chronicles Chapter 17, as we read now, it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart. For God is with you, and we know that David is. We've been learning a lot about him in First Chronicles, and to remind you once again that First and Second Chronicles is a reiteration of what we read about in Second Samuel through Second Kings. But one of the things that we do see in the books of Chronicles is there is that emphasis on the spiritual perspective, and we're certainly seeing this with David. And a lot has been told to us; those stories once again emphasize that david was one that truly had a heart after god and david was one who took the ark of the covenant as we saw after he had conquered jerusalem from the jebusites That he built the city of David, and he desired to bring the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath-Jerim. And again, we discuss in our previous studies how the Ark of the Covenant ended up in Kirjath-Jerim after a series of uh, things that took place as the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, clear back in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And you recall that uh, the uh, Israelites, that's the end of the days of the Judges, uh, were ones that went to war against the philistines and they said let's bring out the box and it will defeat the philistines well uh, they the children of israel were defeated in the ark of the covenant captured taken to the cities of the philistines god would pour out his wrath on them the ark of the covenant would come back and it ended up in ker for a number of years under the rule of saul and saul being the first king of israel was not interested in spiritual things. He neglected the nation spiritually. He left the Ark of the Covenant there. And he also neglected the nation militarily. And during the reign of Saul, because he was so consumed in trying to pursue David and chase David in the wilderness and kill him, what we see is that the Philistines became very, very strong. So David, what he does is he takes over um, the, that Jebus, uh, the Jebusites, Uh, that had Jerusalem. He builds the city of David, and he desires to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David, and he wants to put it in a tent that's called the Tabernacle of Meeting, and at this time here in our study, there's two Tabernacle of Meetings. There is the uh, Tabernacle of Meeting that was out in the wilderness with Moses uh, that's at Gibeon, about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And then the Ark of the Covenant is here in the city of David. And recall that the first time that David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, there was a mishap. He did it the wrong way. But then he did it the right way, as we saw last time. And David brought it back on the shoulders of the Levites. He put it in a tent. And then he would organize the Levites and to where they were uh, continually uh, offering worship. There was He-Man and Asaph, those brothers that led that worship, and so there was worship continually before the Lord. And you can really see how 1 Chronicles uh, is just really emphasizing the heart that David had for the Lord. David was one that he desired to please the Lord. And now, as we come to chapter 17, his heart is now that the ark is in Jerusalem, he's desiring to establish Jerusalem as the central place of worship. He, he looks out. His house is made of cedar, which means it was a very expensive house. And the ark is under a tent. And the tabernacle in, in Gibeon, it's 500 years old. And I'm sure that it's decaying, that it's old. Remember, the tabernacle in the wilderness was made of animal skins. And so it's old. And, and now that David has been defeating his enemies, and we're going to see that in the next couple chapters, chapters 18 and 19, that they are securely in the land, David is wanting to continue to honor God by building a permanent building. So he is saying, I dwell in a house of cedar. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. So Nathan said to David, Nathan the prophet, he says, David, do all that is on your heart. One of the things that made David a man after God's own heart was David's heart was this, what can I do for you, God? And we can learn so much from that because I pray that here, that all of you at Calvary Chapel, that your heart and the heart of your family and the heart of this church would be, what is it that we can do for you, God? Because so much of Christianity today is, what can I get from you, God? And don't misunderstand me. The Lord desires for us to to come to Him, to, to give Him our desires he says, delight yourself in the Lord, and, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But you delight yourself in the Lord. And it was Jesus that said to us, that ask, please ask, that your joy may be full, and you have not, because you ask not. So there are times where I can say, Lord, here's my desire, and, and here is uh, my supplication, and, and here are the things that, that I would like. And you said, ask, please ask, so I'm going to ask. But underlying all of that is, Lord, does it bring glory and honor to you, and is it your will? I pray that none of us would ever treat the Lord like a celestial Santa Claus. And unfortunately, a lot of Christianity is that. What you see on TV and what a lot of ministries will emphasize, there's so much emphasis on the temporal things. And the Lord desires for us to emphasize the eternal. And what my prayer is, is that our Christianity is more than, well, Lord, what can I get from you? And that it causes us to become apathetic and lethargic and, a, you know, and an attitude that is, you know what, what's in it for me? You know, am I going to go to a church that's this, where I'm just comfortable and I get what I want? Or, you know, Lord, my Christianity is, this is, you know, my list of things. And treating the Lord like a celestial Santa Claus. So David's heart was different. David's heart was, Lord, what can I do for you? I want to honor you. I want to to bless you. I I want to do something for you. And that's my heart. I want my heart to be more of that, and I pray that all of our hearts would be more of that. So Nathan says something that, of course, makes sense. David, you're a man that that as you are securely in the land, the Lord is blessing. David is thinking about this. I want to build a temple because... I'm defeating my enemies, and David can free up those men to build the temple, and when we see that it's going to be his son Solomon that's going to build the temple, there were nearly 200,000 men that were involved in that project. They weren't busy going to war, so that's why David's thinking about these things, and and so Nathan says, do what's on your heart, and we see in verse 3 as we read, but it happened at night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, what we're going to read here is that God's going to correct Nathan here. The word of God came to Nathan. That Nathan, that you spoke too soon. And you know what we've told people, or we've heard certainly, is as, you know, do what's on your heart and you know, uh, follow your heart. Maybe we've even said that to someone. But I've learned something that it's very important that that I or we tell people that do what God puts on your heart. There's a difference. Because Jeremiah says our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? And our hearts can lead us astray. So I want to do what God puts on my heart. I want the word of God planted in my heart. Nathan, you spoke too soon, and, and here's the word of God that came to Nathan, and that trumps any good common sense or human judgment that seems to be you know, practical or or makes sense. The word of God trumps all of that. And you see, God's ways are higher than our ways. His ways are better. And when God's word tells us to do something, his commandments, his truths, his principles in life, that trumps anything that we might consider common sense or good human judgment or, you know, the world's philosophy, uh, the world's and man's traditions. And of course, Paul would say to the church of Colossians, Colossae in Colossians chapter 2, don't be cheated by these things. So, Nathan, you spoke too soon. So we always want to follow what God puts on our hearts. Tell people, you know, what has God put on your heart? In other words, make sure that you're seeking him. And so Nathan spoke too soon, and he would say, you go and tell, verse 4, my servant David, thus says the Lord, that you shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from 10 to 10, and from one tabernacle to another. And wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now when you first read this, you think, uh, maybe the Lord's just kind of saying, David, why do you want to build me a house? I mean, no one else has done it. Have I ever commanded for you to build me a house? I've gone from tent to tent, tabernacle to tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant has moved around, and David, of course, as well as Solomon, they knew that, you know, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant with the lid on it and the cherubim, that God said to Moses, I'll meet with my people between the cherubim. That a tent could not contain God. I mean, God created all of the universe, and he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. They understood that. But it was the place, the Ark of the Covenant, the most important furnishing in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, where the tangible presence of God was. It symbolized the the Shekinah glory of God was there as the high priest was the only one that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement as he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat between the cherubim. It was a picture of the throne room of God, and as you see the pictures and uh, the visions of Ezekiel and Isaiah, the cherubim around the throne of God, we even see the angelic creatures in Revelation chapter 4 being to us and so the cherubim and the and the mercy seat that is there and here is the lord saying i i never had anyone ask for you know uh to make a temple i've never commanded for you to build me a house but i don't think that the lord was saying david why do you want to do this it wasn't in a negative kind of tone but i think that god was honored that david wanted to build him a house oh david no one else offered to do that I've never commanded for you to build me a house, but yet you want to do this. I think the Lord was touched by that. And again, David wanted to do more than what God commanded him to do, not the attitude of David. Well, you know, I've defeated my enemies. I can kick back now. How little can I do? You see, sometimes I hear people say, well, David sinned. He committed sin with Bathsheba, and he did. He committed adultery and murder. And First Chronicles doesn't record that event, does it? We're going to see that in the next two chapters, 18 and 19, as he's defeating the Syrians, that David would stay at home when kings went out to battle, but it skips over his sin with Bathsheba. It, First Chronicles skips over the, the consequences of David that he went through with his family that was in turmoil because David didn't discipline his children. It focuses on the spiritual aspect of David's heart. And some people will say, well, David sinned. You know, he was forgiven and all of this. Or they'll say something about, you know, the men of faith of the scriptures. And the scripture is brutally honest about the failures of man that, that God used. It doesn't cover it up. But here's the thing. We should never look at others and say, well, they've sinned. So, you know, it's no big deal that I sin. Everybody does it. And perhaps maybe you've heard somebody say that, or brother and sister. You see, our heart and our mindset should be, Lord, not you know how much can I get away with or how little can I do, but Lord, how closer can I get to you? And how can I live my life to where I'm completely surrendered to you? Because that's what I want. I want to be more like David when I learned from First Chronicles from him what he did to have a heart after God. He desired to have worship that was continually before you know, the, the tabernacle. He desired to be one that, as David, he wrote those songs, as we saw in the previous chapter here, that song of thanksgiving when they brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. I want to be like that, that pours out my heart to God, that writes a psalm to God, that is a worshiper, that wants to know the word of God, who desires to serve the Lord. What can I do for you? So that was the heart of David. And David, you're not going to build me a house. Solomon would. David, your hands are bloodied. Solomon is a man of peace. We'll see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. When we end this book, chapters 28 and 29, we're going to see that David, what he does is he prepares for Solomon to build the house. And I think there's an important principle in that. Sometimes we can get so focused on what we can't do that we don't begin to think, what is it that I can do? In other words, David, you're not going to build a house. Your son's going to build a house. And David could have said, well, okay, I'll, I guess I'll just kind of put it in cruise control and that's it. And he didn't murmur and complain. He didn't do any of that. But what we're going to see, even as we start the next chapter, is David is going to think about, okay, I'm not going to build the house of the Lord. My son is going to do it, but what can I do? And he's going to begin to gather the materials... He's going to begin to make the plans. He's going to organize the Levites and the musicians and the doorkeepers and, and the priests. He's going to get them all organized. He, he's going to get the building materials that are all organized so that when he passes on and then Solomon comes to the throne, that everything's ready to go. And so David focuses on what he could do. And it's an important principle because sometimes in our lives we have something that's on our heart. Here's something that I'd like to do. I'd like to minister in this way. I'd like to minister to this group of people but you're in a season where you can't practically do that maybe because you have young kids and right now that your priority is that you need to be focused on raising your children in the ways of the lord maybe because of health maybe you need to to you know uh, there's other things that the lord has you to do right now but don't focus on what you can't do don't think well i'd like to do this and and you know this is on my heart i'd like to minister to them I'd like to minister in this way. But you be planted and grow and continue to be faithful where God has you. You do what you can do. You may not be able to minister to these people, but you can pray for them, right? You may not be able to minister in this way right now in the season of your life. Maybe your health doesn't allow you. And the Lord has said, I want you to to focus on this. I got you here. And you be faithful to that. Do what you can do. Don't let, you know, discouragement rule your heart because that can easily happen. You know, there are things that I'd love to do in reaching out to this community. I'd love to do, you know, in in ministry. But right now, we're not able to do it because God has not provided. And I'm not going to murmur and complain about it. But Lord, I want to be faithful to where you have me now and where you got me planted. And I want to focus on what I can do. I want to focus on getting the next generation ready. That's why I brought these young people up here. Because if the Lord tarries and, and the church continues, that they're going to be the ones that are going to be raised up for ministry. We want to encourage them. So that's what David was thinking. Hey, my son's going to build it, so I'm going to do everything I can to make it to where he's able to build the temple and encourage him and And to to make it possible for him. So he focused on what he could do. And and the Lord continues to speak to to David through Nathan. You go and tell David, verse 7, Now therefore thus says, uh, shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. Cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I will tell you that the Lord will build you a house. In verse 11, and it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers. In other words, when you die, David, that I will set up for your seed after you who will be of your sons. And I will establish his kingdom and he shall build me a house. And I will establish his throne forever. And I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever in his throne throne shall be established forever in verse 15 according to all these words and according to all the vision so nathan spoke to david so god would speak to david saying david you're not going to build a house for me but i'm going to build you a house and verse 7 here it's interesting the lord says that david i'm the one that took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep to be ruler over my people israel you know only god can do that and that encourages me. And you guys know the story of, of uh, 1 Samuel, that it was Jesse that received a visit from Samuel the prophet to anoint the new king. And, and Jesse would line up all his sons, and, and Samuel said, none of these are to be the king. Do you got any more sons, Jesse? Well, I got the youngest. He's out in the field with the sheep. Ruddy young guy. Bring him here. And the Lord said to Samuel, anoint him as the king of Israel. And only God can take someone who's like that, a shepherd boy, and make him a ruler and do mighty things through him and incredible things using him. We know he did that with Moses. Moses was a shepherd herding sheep for 40 years on the backside of the desert. And then the Lord said to Moses, Now, Moses, you're going to shepherd my people, Israel, and I'm going to use you to take them out of Egypt and bring them out into the wilderness to the mountain of God. We know that it was the Lord that took some fishermen, didn't he? Peter and Andrew and James and John and a tax collector, Matthew, and you look at those apostles, there was nothing spectacular about them, impressive about them as far as the world's view. They didn't have prestige, power, they didn't have high education, they were just ordinary men, fishermen, a tax collector, and God used them to be his apostles, Jesus. And we've seen as we've gone through the book of Acts how Peter was used and how Paul and, and these guys, ordinary people, and, and I want to remind you of that because only God can take people like you and me and do incredible work for the kingdom through us. Ordinary people like us because as Paul would tell the Corinthian church that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to put down the strong, the things that are not to bring the not the things that are. That no man will glory in his presence. You know, what can happen so much we adopt the world's philosophy when it comes to ministry? and We can be like the Corinthian believers. The Corinthians were so much into finesse and prestige and, and um, you know, status and excellence of speech and, and, you know, those who had prominence and all of this. Paul came and he said, that I didn't come with human wisdom, I came to you in fear and trembling. And I didn't come in in excellence of speech, but I came preaching one thing, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul was humbled, and it was the Corinthians that looked at him and said, look at his sweaty tent-making clothes, and he doesn't come with excellence of speech. He doesn't have prominence in all of this, but God used Paul the apostle in a mighty way. And he desires to use you as well, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're thinking, well, who am I? I'm just like a, a shepherd out with the sheep. Maybe you're thinking, I just work with my hands. I'm just trying to provide for my family. But God wants to use you wherever he has you. And maybe the world might look at what it is that you're doing for the kingdom and think that is insignificant. But you see, it's significant to God. And he chooses the weak and foolish things of the world, and I am so glad because he desires to use ordinary people like you and me to reach lost people, to be able to, to minister to those who are hurting, to bring light to darkness, to be able to be a blessing to others. So here is David. He, he is told, as the Lord reminds him, that, you know what, I, I am one that brought you from a sh- shepherd to be a ruler, the shepherd over my people. And David, I'm going to build you a house. In other words, I'm going to establish your throne from which is going to come the Messiah, a throne that's going to last forever. And we know that the, the message to David continues in verse 16. Then King David went in. This is David's response, actually, and sat before the Lord. Now, I've read this many times, and perhaps so have you that David's response went in and he sat before the Lord. But that really hit me this morning when I was reading this once again. And that's the way our devotion should be, shouldn't it? When you have devotions in the mornings, when you go whatever time of day, in your day, or you know, as you are going to the Lord in prayer, it's like you're sitting before the Lord. Don't think that you're just sitting there in, 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 in an empty room or empty place, and the Lord is there with you. And I like that, that David sat before the Lord, and as you go to him, you're sitting before the Lord. And of course, Hebrews says that we can enter into the throne room of grace and just sit at his feet and worship and sit at his feet and pour out our hearts to him. Sit before the Lord and spend time. That's what the Lord desires more than anything, for you to know him, to love him, and to to have that time with him. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to sit before him. He's waiting. He's waiting for you when you go home tonight. And when you wake up in the morning, and as you go throughout your day, you sit before the Lord as David did, and he said, Whom I, O Lord, and what is, is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house, for a great while to come, and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree, O Lord God. And verse 18 What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant, for you know your servant? And O Lord, for your servant's sake, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness and making known all these great things. And O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out the nations before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. And verse 22, For you have made your people Israel, your very own people, forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. So in David's response, he's overwhelmed. And he says, Who am I, Lord? David doesn't say Yeah, you know, Lord, I I deserve this because I am a great king. And I'm a mighty warrior. I mean, I killed giants. You know, I'm a great psalmist. David doesn't have that attitude. Matter of fact, he refers to himself as a servant. He uses that term ten times. Ten times referred to as servant. And this response that he gives to the Lord. And may we be humbled knowing that we're servants of the Lord, that he is the one that is great. There is none like our God. He's the one that has redeemed us. He's redeemed our nation as David recognizes that. And it reminds me of the song of Revelation chapter 5 as we will be before the throne of God singing that song to the lamb that looked like it was slain and to the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth that you have made us a kingdom of priests and have redeemed us to yourself out of every tribe, tongues, people, and nations by your blood. That's a song that we're going to sing. We are a special people to God. And we are blessed because we've been redeemed. And yes, we go through trials and difficulties, and we go through grief, and we go through loss. But all of us that name the name of Jesus, we can rejoice in our hearts here tonight. Why? Because we've been redeemed. And you see, if the Lord never blessed us with anything else, and he will, because every good gift comes from above. But knowing that, Lord, that you have given us the very best, your son who went to the cross and died for us and now we have forgiveness of sin we have reconciliation with the father we have the hope of heaven and as peter would write in his epistle we have a living hope it's not a dead hope and that's a message that pastor ed will be able to proclaim on friday morning concerning his son eddie That's a message that we will proclaim on Sunday morning once again. It's a message that I will proclaim on Monday afternoon. That we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. And we're a blessed people. And there is no other God. There's none other like our God. Because he is so wonderful and awesome. And so we can rejoice like David, even in the difficulties and the hard times and the loss and the grieving. And when we're confronted with the things that we don't understand, we fall back on the things we do understand. That God is with us and he loves us. And we're going to be with him forever. I can't wait till we're all together. And we will say, righteous and true are your judgments, oh God. Righteous and true are your judgments. So David is overwhelmed here, and he continues, verse 23, And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever as do as you have said. So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house, Therefore, your servant has found in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised his goodness to your servant. Now you've been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. Simply, David is saying that you've said it and let your word be established. In other words, you've said it, Lord. It's going to come to pass. You're going to build me a house. You're going to establish my throne. And, and Lord... He knows that it's going to be true because the word of the Lord is true. And then very quickly, chapter 18, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, took Gath. Remember that Goliath was from Gath, one of the major cities of the Philistines. Now David is subduing the Philistines. He took its towns in the hands of the Philistines. He defeated Moab, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. Kind of interesting. Think about this. David's great-great-grandmother was who? Ruth. Moabitus. Also, you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 22, I believe, that it was David that had his parents because Saul was pursuing him, that Saul was going to kill David's parents apparently. So David had them go over to Moab and was protected by the king of Moab over there. Saul couldn't get to him. So why would David defeat the Moabites? We don't know for sure. Make them servants to him. Apparently, the Moabites became hostile to David or to Israel. Some have said, there's some rabbinical, you know, ancient references that say that the king of Moab would kill David's parents. So maybe that was one of the reasons. But he defeated Moab and, and they became his servants and brought tribute and David defeated Hadadezar, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath. And he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. So here is, um, you know, David is, he's, going to be defeating the Syrians. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. David hamstrung all the chariot horses except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Dezar king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. So Zobah was, um, you know, Assyrian kingdom is what it was. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, verse 6, and the Assyrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were in the servants of Hadadazar and brought them to Jerusalem. And also from Tibhath and from Chan, cities of Hadadazar, David brought a large amount of bronze, which with which Solomon made the bronze sea, the pillars and the articles of bronze. So he's collecting the gold, silver, the spoils, not to keep for himself, but for the glory of God. You see, as God blesses us, what I pray is that we always remember we can't take it with us, right? But Lord, whatever I have, I want to use it for your glory. I want to be a good steward of it. And also, when I leave here, that it is used for your glory somehow, some way. We always want to leave, you know, things for our children and, and for our families. That's a good thing to be able to bless them. But we always want to keep in mind that we're going to leave those things behind. And, Lord, whatever I have, I always, even after I leave here, somehow to where it's used for your glory. And that's what David is doing. He's, he's preparing again for uh, the building of the temple. And so you can continue reading here, verse 9. To king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hedad, king of Zobah, that he sent... Had Doram, his son, to King David, to greet him and bless him, because he had fought against Hadadazar and defeated him. For Hadadazar had been at war with Toh, and Had Doram brought with him all kinds of articles of gold and silver and bronze. And King David also dedicated uh, these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that he had brought from those nations, from Edom, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, and uh, Amalek. And moreover, uh, just uh, Amalek, you know who they were? The giants, remember? David was the one that defeated the giants as well. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, killed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and put garrisons in Edom and all the Edomites became David's servants and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. I want to close with this very quickly. I want to go back to and draw attention to verse 4 where it says all these chariots, you know, um, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers that David took and and David hamstrung all the chariot horses. Now, why would David do that? I mean, you think David would say, Day, you know what, I got all these horses and chariots, man, my army can get stronger and bigger. Why did he hamstrung the, the horses? That is, he cut their tendons so they couldn't be used in war anymore. You would think, what a foolish you know, waste of resources and potential. Do you realize Joshua did the same thing? When you go through the book of Joshua and when he was fighting the Canaanites, here were the children of Israel. They didn't have any horses or anything. They're going against the Canaanite kings that band together and a huge multitude of uh, army coming against the children of Israel. And Joshua did the same thing. He didn't keep the chariots. He burned the chariots. I'll tell you why. Psalm chapter 20, David writes, Some trust in horses, some in chariots. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I want to end with this. What my prayer for you in your life, for your family, for this church here, is that we wouldn't trust in the horses and the chariots. That we would trust in the Lord. That's where our trust needs to be. You see, what can happen is that we begin to trust in our budgets and our bank accounts and our togetherness and our possessions and all of this you see churches can do the same thing and what my prayer for this church here at calvary chapel that we wouldn't put our trust in a building we wouldn't put our trust in a number of people in a budget on staff whatever it may be now if the lord wants to bless us with more We want to be a good steward of that. And my desire is God always be honored and glorified in whatever happens and whatever he gives to us. But some trust in horses and some in chariots. I don't want to trust in things. I want to trust in the Lord alone. And for him to provide and guide and and direct and to work and to look to him. And that's what he's done over these 17 years of us being a church. You see, one of the reasons why I've never asked for money, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to push for fundraisers and all of this, is because I don't want to trust in the horses and chariots. I want to trust in the Lord for what He has done. And I think a lot of ministries have kind of gotten away from that. And we as Christians can get away from that. And whatever God blesses us with, we thank him and we become a good steward of it. But I don't want to try to make something happen. I want to trust in him. You see, David's going to number the people here in a few chapters. And you think, what's so wrong about that? Many of you know the story that a plague came upon Jerusalem because of it, because David sinned. And the reason is, is because David, as well as the nation, was full of pride. David wanted to number the people so he can see where his strength was and the number of soldiers that he had and he forgot that his strength was in the Lord alone. Our strength is in him. May we never forget that is simply what I'm saying. And it's very, very wonderful what God has provided for us here, provided for us to be able to minister, but may everything that we do here, Lord, we want to honor you and bless you and Lord, wait on you Some trust in horses and chariots. But we want to remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word and how powerful it is. So, Lord, I I do pray that tonight that these lessons that we learn, Lord, that we would have hearts that, Lord, what... Is it that we can do to honor you, draw closer to you, be worshipers of you, like David? Lord, how can we wait on you? And we can give you our desires. Lord, we can step out in faith. Lord, we can do all those things, but we want to trust in you, not in the things that we have. We want to be thankful for them. We want to use them for your glory. Oh, Lord, sometimes those things become a distraction. Father, I thank you for tonight in reminding us that we are special people unto you. Matter of fact, Jesus referred to us as the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in a field, sold all that he had to buy the field to get the treasure. And knowing that Jesus, He went to the cross to redeem the world, not to have another planet, but to take to treasure us. So we can be with Him. To be with you, Lord, forever because of what Jesus has done. And Father, You are our only hope that comes through Jesus Christ, His death and burial and resurrection. And what I pray tonight, if there by chance happens to be anybody that's here or out in the coffee shop, that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. Religion won't save you. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus Christ who went to the cross to die for your sins. He redeemed you. He went to the cross because of his love for you. And he cried from the cross, it is finished i've paid the price i've done the work you can't do the work yourself we can't work for heaven it's a free gift as you come and realize that you're a sinner you need to repent that is turn direction and turn to jesus and surrender your life to him know that he was buried he rose again he conquered sin and death so by chance if anybody's here tonight that you've never done that will you give your heart to jesus christ your life to him today is the day of salvation Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. This week we've been reminded of that. The life is so short and precious. But you are the author, the creator of life, and the author of eternal life. There is an eternity that we will pass into. Either with you in heaven because we surrender our life to you or separate it from you. That's the truth of scripture. If you've never taken the time to get right with God, will you do so tonight? And you pray with your heart. Believe in your heart. Jesus, I am a sinner and I come to you and I recognize that you are the Savior of the world who died for me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you're alive knocking on the door of my heart. You rose from the grave. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I open my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. And Lord, I just pray for all of us that our hearts would be fully surrendered to you. This world doesn't offer us hope. It's a false hope. It's a world that will bring defeat and discouragement and depression. Lord, our joy is in you alone. Lord, our strength in everything that we need. Father, bless your people and may we go home and sit before you and thank you for the wonderful things that you've done in our lives. Not focus on what we can't do, but focus on what we can do. And a heart after you So Lord, take everyone home safely tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen.